Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there, can you say amen? The word of the Lord says this, now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at I'm not even going to try it today. <laughs> in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. They keep trying to bring him down. Verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Can we all say that last part together? Come on. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. We're going to pause there. We're going to talk about this for the next maybe 20, 25 minutes. I want to try to cover these chapters in our study. We'll finish up the book uh, next week. And I, I pray, I really do pray that as we've been reading through Nehemiah, it's been helping you. It's been challenging you. It's been challenging us to be bolder, to be leaders. And we don't come to church to waste time. We don't come to church just to sing some songs and read some lyrics off the screen. We come to be challenged and we come to be confronted by God's presence. I don't know about you, but I think we need to rebuild our lives. We need to rebuild our societies. Our, our, our nation right now needs more of God, more than ever before. And the book of Nehemiah, I think is absolutely timely. Oh, God, strengthen our hands is what we need this morning. In part four today of Nehemiah, I want to talk to you from this subject, if you're taking notes, calling for change, calling for change. We're going to talk about change for just a moment, and then we'll worship Jesus one more time together, and then go have an amazing time outside. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't we close our eyes and ask God to speak to us this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this time. We thank you for this moment where we're gathered together in your presence. Holy Spirit, I believe that you're here. And I pray that you would speak to us today, to every person in this room, in additional seating online, whoever may be hearing this. Spirit of God, open up our hearts, open up our minds, our eyes to see you. We want to continue to be challenged by you. Heal us today if there's been any hurt. Free us if we've been in bondage. Heal us if we've been sick. Spirit of the living God, we know that you're here and that your word has power. And as we speak of your word, let your voice come and be loud and speak to us as you speak to our hearts for us to continue to draw closer to you. Thank you for loving us. There's nothing that we can do to earn your love or to deserve your love, but you've loved us because you are awesome. And for that, we thank you and we love you. And all of Calvary Church says? Amen. Oh, come on. All of Calvary Church says? Amen. Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on. The University of California in Berkeley recently did a study, and what they wanted to do was to grab these amoebas, put them in a laboratory, and see if you took away all the stress of these uh, amoebas, if you took away everything that deterred them from growing, from being healthy, 
anything that would get in their way, would they continue to thrive in a laboratory under perfect conditions? So they put them in this lab under the microscope, and over some time, they began to study them and see that um, they did begin to thrive at the beginning. They had the perfect temperature. They had the perfect environment. Anything that usually stressed an amoeba was absolutely taken out. But sooner or later, what they began to see was that these amoebas under the microscope began to destroy themselves. They began to weaken to the point where they began to die. And what they saw was that every living creature needs a moment where they are challenged in order to be changed. They need adaptation. They need to be confronted. They need to be challenged. There needs to be something in the atmosphere, in the environment that they are in that causes them a chance to survive, to thrive, because a change needs to happen. And what the university concluded is that being comfortable is a killer. Let's talk about being comfortable for a moment because I think we've all heard about the comfort zone in recent years. There's been books about it. We've talked about it, the comfort zone, and we've taken a positive spin sometimes on the comfort zone, which is good. You should be in a comfort zone, I think, in your own giftings and talents where you're thriving in that. But I think it can also be negative if we talk about a comfort zone where you never want to change and you always want to remain the same. I'm comfortable. I'm good. I don't like people taking me out of my comfort comfort zone. I don't like changing. I don't like trying to do something that I'm not used to. I'm good. Have you ever been comfortable and somebody tries to take you out of your comfort zone? You ever been chilling on a Saturday afternoon watching a heat game and they call you to take out the trash in the middle of the fourth quarter? My wife has never done that. I'm just asking, has that ever happened to you? I'm good, I'm comfortable, and I don't want nobody to disrupt me being comfortable, I'm good. And there's nothing wrong with being in a good place, but what I've noticed many times is that good gets in the way of great. And so a lot of times we can be in a good place. I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about it. My life is good. I feel good. I'm in, a, I'm in a good zone. But I wonder if good is keeping us from all the great things that God has for us. Personally, collectively, as a church, as a society, as a culture, we're good. And so we don't want to change and we miss out on the great things that God wants to do. I look back on my own life and I'm afraid that there's moments in my life in the past where I've been so good, I did not step out into the great that God had for me. I've been comfortable. I'm good. You ever woke up one morning, you're like, I'm going to work out this morning. You begin to put on your shoes. You begin to put on your workout gear. and Your bed is so comfortable. You look back and you're like, I think the Lord is calling me to deep prayer today. <laughs> My face in the pillow. I'm just going to see God today and pray for the next half an hour. I'm too comfortable and I didn't step out for great. I think about moments in my life. I remember my youth pastor telling me, Alex, I think you should lead a connect group. And for about a year and a half, he was after me. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't want to lead no connect group. I'll attend one. I'll go to one. I'll have the coffee and the donuts. But don't tell me to lead one because I was comfortable. My insecurities got the best of me if I think about it. So many times in my own life, I thought about everything that I couldn't do or that God couldn't do in my own life. And I just began to think, I'm good where I'm at. I'm comfortable. Don't tell me to speak out when I don't want to speak out. Don't tell me to lead something when I really don't want to. And there was moments in my own life where I thought, I, maybe I could lead this group or maybe I could lead this team or in a workplace, in the office. What about if I speak up in this meeting? I think I have a pretty good opinion that might help. But because I was good, I remained comfortable. And if I maybe never stepped into something great that God had me because I was too comfortable. What I've learned is that comfort is the enemy of change. Comfort is the enemy of change. There was perhaps things that God wanted to change in my past. There was perhaps things that God wanted to change in my environment, but because I was comfortable, it never happened. Because we're comfortable. Comfort is also the enemy of progress. You're comfortable. Let's talk about you for a moment. I think maybe there's times in your own life where you've been comfortable and it's kept you from changing anything in your marriage, in your family, in your household. Have you ever been comfortable? You were so comfortable that you didn't change your marriage. We've been married now 23 years. We don't need no change. We're okay. We'll stay average, and I like it the way it is. And so nothing ever gets better because we're good, but we never go after great. Are you hearing me, church? 
oh, I got an okay budget. I, I never want to change or readjust my budget, and so we'll just stay the same because we're afraid of change. We stay comfortable forever. Maybe God wanted you to take a step in your workplace, in your, in your corporation, in your church, in your community, but because you didn't want to get uncomfortable, nothing ever changed, and you remained the same. Don't pressure me too much. Don't tell me to step out. That's not who I am. I'm actually a person that's quiet. I'm reserved. I don't do too much. You weren't quiet in the club a couple years ago. <laughs> right? But we, 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 our insecurities cause us to stay quiet, to chill, to just live a good life. I'm good. I'm comfortable. But I believe that when the Spirit of God comes... He begins to disturb the comfortable areas of our life. When the Spirit of God, when you become a follower of Jesus, sooner or later, following Jesus requires change. Let's talk about that for him. Sooner or later, following Jesus is going to show you that we should, we could step out of the boat and begin to walk on waters that are uncomfortable, that maybe they begin to rock us a little bit. But following Jesus says, I must change my attitude. I have to change my thinking. I have to change my perspective. I have to change the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I treat people. I can't stay the same. Some change begins to happen when you follow Jesus. Are you hearing me, church? The Spirit of God begins to come to life on the inside of you and all of a sudden change begins to happen whether you like it or not when the spirit of God gets a hold of you you begin to talk different and now people are like who are you and you're like God bless you when you used to curse them out have a lovely day when you used to wave with one finger come on anybody with me it's the spirit of God that begins to disturb everything that's been comfortable change what's been comfortable change the way you talk change the way you think change the way you treat somebody you go to church and you give God your heart and your soul and you begin to follow him. You go home now with flowers and you treat your wife different. And she's like, who are you? <laughs> you look different. You talk different. You treat people different because change begins to happen when you follow Jesus. You cannot continue to follow Jesus and stay the same. There is no comfort zone in the kingdom of God. J.I. Packer, an incredible preacher, said it needs to be said loud and clear that in the kingdom of God, there ain't no comfort zone and there never will be. I think some of us today, as we read Nehemiah, as we see somebody that left the comfort zone, we need to say, I need to change today. Spirit of God, begin to do a work in me. Begin to change my attitude. Begin to change the way I think. I'm not going to stay comfortable forever. You got a calling from God. You got gifting. You got an anointing. You can't stay the same. And this morning at 11 a.m., I feel the Spirit of God comes to disrupt some people to say it's time to change. It's time to stand. It's time to be different. It's time for transformation. It's time for our city to change. It's time for my mind to change. It's time for my language to change. It's time for my attitude to change. I can't stay the same. Can I get an amen? Amen. You got a calling and a gifting from God, and you're going to stay the same forever? It's good in the way of great. I believe God doesn't want you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have a great marriage. I don't believe God just wants you to have good relationships. He wants you to have great relationships. I don't believe he wants you to walk in your gifting and your calling for a good life. He wants a great life out of you. The Spirit of God comes to anoint you. The Spirit of God comes to put his hand on you. Come on, it's time that our church, our city, sees great men and women of God that stand and say, God, do a change in me. i got to be different. Can I get an amen? And so today is time that we begin to change And we walk in the calling that God has for us. I put it this way. Leave your comfort to live your calling. Today, if some of us could get out of the comfort zone and say, God, disrupt everything comfortable on the inside of me. I'll begin to live in the calling that God has for me. Today, God, do something on the inside of my marriage, my family, my relationships, my kids, my home, my business. I just don't want to be good. I want the great that God has for me. Can I get an amen? Amen. Nehemiah doesn't settle for good. He could have settled for good. Nehemiah could have been comfortable forever. He was living in the palace. He had a very good life. He was comfortable. He had all the grapes, figs, pomegranates, avocado toast, (laughs) acai bowls. (laughs) 
Anybody getting hungry? He had... <laughs> he was living in the palace. He was basically the right hand of the king in one sense who had to drink the wine and taste the food before it got to... He was eating and living good. <laughs> he was comfortable. Never been to Jerusalem. Was born and raised in captivity. Made his way up the ranks. And he was assisting the king. King Artaxerxes was treated like a god. And although he was wicked, evil, corrupt, a murderer, a murderer, he, he lived like a god. And so imagine Nehemiah's life in the palace. This man had it all. Best entertainment, the best food, the best wine. Yet something burdened his heart. He thought about God's city that was absolutely destroyed. And he says, something must be done. Because when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you know when change needs to happen. And it begins to bother you so much that you can't sleep at night. Has the Spirit of God ever filled you to the point where you lay your head on the pillow and you're like, I know my marriage can't stay the same. I know. Have, have you ever gone to sleep and you know you, know you got to apologize before you go night-night? <laughs> Diana's apologized so many times at night. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> that's good amen right because when the spirit of God begins to like do something on the inside you're like I gotta call this person I gotta fix this thing I gotta change I gotta block this page hello I gotta delete some numbers I gotta do something when the spirit of God begins to I mean he just begins to disturb everything that's been calm and good when you're full of the spirit of God he puts a burden on the inside and so Nehemiah begins to sleep at night, but he's wrestling, he's turning and tossing because Jerusalem is destroyed. And I pray that our church, in the name of Jesus, begins to see our city, our culture, our nation, and we get that burden. Something needs to happen. A leader needs to stand up and speak, and the leader must be you. We can't keep relying on one person to be a leader. I believe God is calling a community to lead change. And so Nehemiah is like, something needs to be done. He asked the king if he can go to Jerusalem. And we talked about this several weeks ago. The king says, yes, go. He sends him letters. He gets all kind of contributions to go to Jerusalem. He finally gets to Jerusalem. He inspects the city. I mean, it is absolutely ruined. It is desolate. It is devastated. Jerusalem is messed up. And Nehemiah goes to work. He goes from being the cupbearer to a construction worker. Talk about change. Talk about leaving comfort. He goes from living in a palace with fresh AC and all kind of entertainment, luxury, and food to working out in the hot sun, rebuilding a wall. Because when the Spirit of God touches your heart, he will change your lane. And a guy who was used to luxury is now out with a sword and a shovel, and he's building and battling. He has his timberlands on. He has a towel for sweat, and he's rebuilding something for God's glory. For God's glory, he's saying the city must be rebuilt. And he gathers men around him who begin to build the wall, and he puts men to defend the wall because the, the haters come out when you start doing something good for God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The people begin to talk about you, and the people begin to say, oh, he's religious. He's a fanatic. Look at him now. He joined a connect group. Oh, he used to be in the club. Now he's in the, in the connect group. Like, look at him. Oh, she used to be crazy, and she used to be dancing everywhere. Now she's lifting her hand and praising G. And people just love to criticize, but if you're going to be a man of God or a woman of God, you got to turn off the critics, and you got to say, I'm busy doing what God got me doing. Anybody with me? I'm busy doing God's hand. Come on, what God has for me. It's, I'm, I'm busy with what God has for me in my hand. I got no time for that. And that's what we see happen in chapter 6. And, and I'll, I'll just go quickly because the keys are already about to start playing. And so that means my time is almost up. It's the Oscars and they start playing the music. <laughs> Three things I picked up from these next chapters. And we'll talk about it for just a few moments. Number one, if we want to be leaders, men of God, women of God. And if we want change to happen, I want to leave the comfort zone. And I want to step into change. Number one, you need complete determination. You can't be deterred in what God has for you. You can't be distracted for what God has for you. I'm telling you, you got to be so focused to say, I'm going to do everything that God has for me. I won't look to the right or to the left. I'm determined to do everything that God has for me for his glory and for his honor. You can't be distracted when God has a calling over your life. You can't look anywhere else. You got to be focused. 
And we talked about that several weeks ago. There's a lot of distractions. But when you know who God is and when you're certain of his promises, oh, you'll be completely determined in your calling. Because you already know the end from the beginning. You already know God's going to get glory out of this. So I'm focused on what God has because I've seen the end from the beginning. Nehemiah knows this city's going to get rebuilt somewhere or another. So I might as well be a part of it because his word says he has a hope and a future. Jerusalem was to say, it's going to happen. I might as well jump in. When you have confidence in what God is going to do, you jump in all the way. I've used this example before, but my dad, he's the type that wants to watch games. Like, he doesn't like knowing the score before. So one time we were all here on a Wednesday night, and the Heat were playing. It was round three of the playoffs, and my dad left a recording. I'm watching the score on my phone. I'm just, not in service, after service. I'm looking. And I'm like, Dad, the Heat, don't tell me. I want to go watch it. Come over the house. And I went over his house. And he watched it from the beginning. I already know the score. I already know we won, and we beat the Boston Celtics trash and we so I was all in I'm determined I'm excited he's nervous but there's a confidence inside when you know the end from the beginning you serve different you live different you worship different because you know who your God is you know your God's faithful you know your God never fails you know your God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask think or imagine I'm all in can I get an amen I know, my God, I'm all in. Nehemiah's like, I'm completely determined to get this wall done because God said it was going to happen. I'm just playing my part. And here comes Sam Ballot. Ugly people want to come and distract you. And what do they say? Get off the wall. Come meet me in the plane of, oh, no. The name alone should let you know, oh, no. <laughs> I ain't going there. Oh, no. And he's like, I, I don't got time for this. I'm busy doing the Lord's work. Why should I come down and talk to you? And they come to him again. Come on. Let's meet in, oh, no. <laughs> and again and again and again. And you got to be careful because not every invitation is a good invitation. You got to be careful because not every phone call is a good phone call. Not every relationship is a good relationship. To my single people, not every person that looks like a prospect is a good prospect. Don't leave the Lord's will to do something that's out of the Lord's will. No, I'm missionary dating. I'm going to bring them to church. Be careful. I see more people leave church and God's will for their life trying to save somebody just because they're cute. Oh, no. <laughs> Right? And so we step out of God's will all the time to try to do something that has nothing to do with us. It's none of my business. I shouldn't be, I should be busy on what God has for me. But so many times we come down off the wall. We get out of the Lord's will to go fix something that ain't got nothing to do with us. And so some of us today, we need to be careful. We got relationships that are oh no. We got friends that are oh no. Some of us have been laughing about stuff that is oh no. Joking around with people that is oh no. We've been in places, club, oh no, that's where we are, you know, like in our relationships and our friendships, you should be busy doing the Lord's work. It's so bad they write a letter about him and they start to spread it everywhere. Nehemiah just wants to be a king so people worship him. Fake news, that's what it's called. And it spreads all over the city. You just want to be a king. He's so focused and you got to be careful because here they offer him money. Go read chapter six to come down off the wall. At some point in your life, this test is going to come. It's the test of character. Will you serve God and be a man or a woman of God of character, or will you compromise who you are for money, for fame, for popularity is the test of character. And we've seen men and women of God fail because they failed when they saw money. They failed when they looked with lustful eyes, with powerful eyes, with greedy eyes, with eyes of fame. If you're going to be a man of, or a woman of God that's completely determined, you got to pass the test of character. Your character has to be stronger than anything else. Nehemiah was a man of character. I'm not coming off the wall for nothing. Don't call me to, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, you got me messed up. <laughs> He's busy on the wall, and they're building, they're battling. Chapter 6, a few verses down from where we paused, verse 15 says that they completed the wall in 52 days. This is absolutely amazing. Remember, he leaves the palace. He travels 800 miles to Jerusalem, 
After three days, he begins to work with men of God who are all in. And in 52 days, they were so determined, it took them 52 days to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. What would happen in your life if you focused on God for 52 days? What would our marriages look like if we were completely determined for 52 days, I'm going to leave my comfort zone and I'm going to focus on. What would our families look like if we gave God 52 weeks where we're all in a year, God, do something in my life. I'm going all in after your word. I'm going all in after your presence. I'm turning off all the distraction. I ain't going there. I ain't looking there. I'm all in for 52 weeks, for 52 months, for 52 years. If we focus on the word of God, what would God do? What turnaround would happen? If we were just completely focused on what God wants, God, you have my attention. God, you have my heart. God, take all of me. What would he do? And I think the reason we don't see greater change is because we go down to oh no so often. And we come back and climb on the wall every Sunday. And 52 days pass by, 52 weeks, 52 months, 52 years go by. And we, our walls are halfway done because we keep going down and up, down and up. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so cl which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Today, some of us need to throw some weights to the side, some sin to the side, and say, I'm running after him. I'm leaving my comfort zone, and I'm running after God because he's calling for change. Number one, there's complete determination. Number two, there's united contribution. Nehemiah is not doing this by himself. Nehemiah has a bunch of men of God that he puts in places. You got to read chapter six and seven. It's absolutely amazing. Nehemiah sets men of God in certain places and he tells them to fight. And he knows how to steward people well. Here's what I'll say. Your life is only going to be as good as the people in it. I'll say that one more time. Your life is only going to be as good as the people in it. Who you surround yourself by will determine how your life will go. You ever grew up and your parents always told you that same? My mom always used to say, Dime con quien andas. Y te diré quien eres. And when you're young, you don't want to hear any of that. When you're young, you're just like, Mom, my friends are awesome, all of them. They all love me. <laughs> they all want the best for me. And you're like 15. You know nothing from nothing. Sooner or later, you start to realize it's true. And you'll see that bad company corrupts character. Nehemiah knows who he puts. And you got to read chapter 7. We don't have time to get into it. But during the week, study it. He puts two of his brothers... There's people he trusts that are faithful to God, it says, and he puts them in key places because you need to put people in key places of your life. Newsflash, we're all not strong in every area of our life. All of us have a weakness somewhere. We all limp somewhere. And what you need to do is put a key person in that place. Maybe today you're saying, I'm not the best husband. Put somebody to help you out there to say, hey, can you teach me? I see you got a marriage of 30, 40 years. Can you mentor me and help me? You need some leadership in your life. I just think pride has gotten the best out of us. I live my life how I want it. I know everything. I got it all under control. And your family's a mess. Your budget's a mess. Nobody can tell you how to spend it. Nobody can tell you what to do with your money. Nobody can tell you how to raise your kids. I let them do whatever they want. Oh, today I'm their best friend. That's today's relationship. I'm best friends with my kids. Your kids don't need a friend. They need a parent. They need a mother and a father. And, and I know, I'm like, and I don't mean to come across like I know, I got, only got a five month old. I'm five months into this thing, but, but from subjects and studies and all that, like, man, God help me to be a leader help me to get key people in my life to teach me how to be a good dad, a good husband, and a better pastor, and a better leader. Are you hearing me? Yeah. And he puts strong guards. He put guard, put people to guard your life. That's why I told you join a connect group because who you surround yourself will determine your life. Who's around you, the way they speak, the way they think, the way they talk. So often I've seen so many of my friends just go left because of who they were surrounded by. Never listening to advice, never listening to what anybody had to tell them, and they just surround themselves with yes people. Get good people in your life. He stewards people well. God is calling us to take care of people. So some of us, we need to put people in our life. Other ones, we need to be those people that are in somebody's life. 
At the end of chapter 7, and you got to read it, at the end of chapter 7, they all start to contribute to build the rest of the city. And it's beautiful because there's this contribution of all. When you want to see a change, when you really want to see a change, you're all in. No matter what. You're all in. And some of them give, it says 2,000 of this and 2,000 pounds of this. Basically, they picked up an offering and everybody contributed. I just think if we want to see a change, if we want to see growth, it's going to take all of us serving, all of us with our hands on the plow, all of us giving. This past week, we got a financial report from our church, and it's awesome news. You know, across the nation, churches our size, uh, 20% of people give tithes and offerings. That means 80% are basically enjoying the fruits of what 20% give. And that's nationwide. If, you got, if your church, 20% of the people give, that's good news. And that's nationwide. That's awesome, 20%. We got a financial report this week. 29% of our church is giving, which is absolutely awesome. It is awesome. But we just started thinking, imagine if it was 100%. What would we do? But so many people just don't want to contribute. They, they want to comment but not contribute. And usually the commentary comes from the less people that are contributing, from the people that are contributing less. That's why they say the, the, the cheaper seats are the loudest, right? You go to the arena and people all the way at the top are usually the ones that, take them out. He doesn't know how to play basketball. You're all the way at the top. You never play. You got 0.0, your high school average, but you're telling Jimmy Butler how to play, <laughs> right? And it's like, man, let's not be those type of believers. I'm all in. And usually at church, you know, if I hear a complaint from somebody, it's like, are you all in? You serve on Dream Team? Are you here? Are you contributing? We're all trying to make a change in society, but let's be all in. Come on, let's have a united contribution. It got really quiet when we start talking about money, really quiet. <laughs> the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and it builds itself in love as each part does its work. We want to see a change in our city. We want to see a difference in our offices, in our community, in our church. We want to grow and see God. It's going to take each one doing its work. Come on, let's not leave it to the 20, 29%. We're all in together. Acts chapter 4, the early church, they understood this. It said all the believers, Acts chapter 4, all the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Oof. What would the church look like if, if this was our heart and attitude today? Oh, we'll rebuild all the walls of society. If we had 100% contribution, united contribution, I'm all in. I'll serve. I'll take care of kids. I'll open up doors. I'll go to parking. I'll give my tithes and offerings. Nehemiah had men and women of God. 50,000 people were living in Jerusalem by this time, and all 50,000 are all in. And Jerusalem begins to have life again. The wall is done. By chapter 8, it is absolutely beautiful. Chapter 8 and 9 is the last I'll cover in the next few minutes. Chapter 8 is the revival chapter. You got to go in and read chapter 8. Chapter 8 is absolutely beautiful. The wall is done. Everybody's contributed. They're rebuilding the city. It's looking absolutely amazing. But the first thing they do when the wall is done, the first thing they do is that the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, let's read it quick. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1, it says, and all the people, they gathered as one man. This is about 50,000 people they met in the city square. The wall's done, and they met before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Remember, we said this at the beginning of the, of, of the series, that Ezra and Nehemiah are basically twin books. Ezra and Nehemiah were basically friends in the Persian Media Empire. They knew of each other. Ezra is the second man to go to Jerusalem and try to rebuild it after Zerubbabel. Nehemiah comes after Ezra about 15 years later. And Nehemiah is the one that is the physical leader, the construction worker. Nehemiah is a scribe, which means his whole thing has been learning the word of God. And so when the city is finally rebuilt, when the walls are finally rebuilt, they go, Ezra! One translation says, bring out the book. Because when we want to see change in our cities, it's not going to be lights, screens, good music, good times, good coffee that's going to change a city. It's going to be the book that changes the city. And there's only one book that's going to change the city. 
No other. It's not going to be man's philosophy. It's not going to be the charisma of the way that somebody speaks. It's not going to be entertainers. It's not going to be these people that make you feel good and tickle your ears with how great you look. What's going to change a city is preaching the word of God, going back to the word of God, proclaiming the word of God. This is the only thing that heals. This is the only thing that saves. This is the only thing that changes. This is the only thing that will bring healing to our city. It's the word of God and nothing else. And so you want to see change? You want to get out of your comfort zone? It begins by saying, I'm completely determined. Oh, there's going to be a united contribution. But number three, there's going to be bold proclamation. Ezra comes out. You got to reach after eight. They built a pulpit for him. The first pulpit in history. They build a stage. And they tell him, get up there and begin to read us God's word. 50,000 people gathered in a square, and Ezra begins to read the word of God. He reads the Torah. He goes through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It says that he read from sunup to noon. Six hours preaching. If I take 15 more minutes, half of us are gone. (laughs) Six hours. Their hearts wanted God's word. Their spirit said, oh, I know a game might be on. I know that something else may be happening in the city. The pool is ready. The barbecue is on. But I need his word before anything else. I need to hear it. I need to digest it. I need it to get inside. Because what my family needs, what my soul needs, what society needs, it's not another good time. What I need is God's word in my life. What Miami needs, what our city needs, what our family needs, is God's word. We need to proclaim it loudly, boldly. The pure gospel. And I'm afraid that today what we have is entertainment centers with motivational speakers. And churches across the world, and God forbid we ever become one. What we have is a bunch of motivational speakers who don't preach from the word and just make us feel good. And I like those type of teachings. Nothing to challenge me too much. I'm comfortable. Right? And so what we have is entertainment centers. But what we need to do is go back to the word of God. The Bible says in chapter 8 that as Ezra began to preach the word of God, people began to cry. Nehemiah chapter 8, 50,000 people, they all begin to cry. Because this word has power. What's going to change a city is not motivational speaking. It's not a good, charismatic person that jumps up on a platform. That's, That's bread and circuses. Like that's not what we need. We don't need Cirque du Soleil up here to try to entertain people. Maybe if I change the tone of my voice a little bit, I'll be a better communicator. It's like, I just, I get loud because I'm excited. I'm from Hialeah. Other than that, I I don't know. But we don't need people to clown around. We need the word of God. Are you hearing me? And we need to preach the gospel. We don't preach any other book. This is the living book. And they all begin to cry because when you go through the word of God and you begin to read it, it begins to read you. That's why some people don't like going to church. You tell them, hey, let's go to church. No, because as soon as they sit here, the demons start to get uncomfortable. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) When we start talking about all of our sins, because all of us are sinners. Oh, don't touch that area of my life. Don't tell me I can't cheat on my wife. Don't tell me I can't do certain things. Don't. And so we start to get uncomfortable. And what we need is the gospel, and we need to get uncomfortable to say, God, I need you. Change me. Heal me. Deliver me. Save me. Wash me. God, I'm sorry. And what we need is repent before God and say, I need your word. Oh, it washes over me. It makes me new. It heals me. It saves me. It's good for my family. It's good for my city. Come on, we're living in times. We're living in times where me and Dan are talking about it. Like, what's going to happen with our kids? What are they going to listen to? Everybody's proclaiming something. What we need to boldly proclaim is the word of God. Not even my own ideas. It's this. This is all you need, Aria. This is all you need, Miami. We need to go back to the word. And I really believe our country and our world, it's in the state it's in because we've taken the word of God out. And now we're surprised what's happening. We've taken the word out of government. 
We've taken the Bible out of politics. We've taken the Bible out of schools. And if there's 10 commandments anywhere, just bring it down. We don't even want to make a reference to scripture. Keep taking the word of God out, destruction comes in. Anytime we've seen revival in the world is when we return back to scripture. Go study revivals around the world. It doesn't happen because somebody got up there and started performing Cirque du Soleil. It happened when somebody began to preach scripture. All throughout, go study revivals around the world. It all happened because somebody began to proclaim the word of God. And it causes a change and people begin to confess their sins. Nehemiah chapter 9, it's all 50,000 people crying before God, confessing their sins before God. It is a beautiful part of Nehemiah. Warren Wearsby, he said this, the spirit of God uses the word of God to cleanse and revive the hearts of the people of God. The spirit of God uses the word of God to cleanse and revive the hearts of the people of God. God, as we read your word, as we study it, you know what we need to do? Tonight, tomorrow night, when you gather with your family and you're having a quick family dinner, maybe you don't even have family dinner. You need to start there. Start gathering with your family. Don't let your kids eat wherever they want. You gather them at the dinner table. I don't care. 20 minutes. And after that, you go, Ezra, bring out the book. (laughs) Right? My dad used to do that. On Monday nights, just gather us. And we used to do a little family Bible study. I hated it at the moment. I wanted to go back to my Nintendo 64 golden eye. But I appreciate that man and that woman of God who said, bring out the book. Bring out the book. Because throughout the years, it's the book that's guided me. It's the book that's helped me. It's the book that's healed me. It's the book that kept me when I got invited to, oh, no. It's the book that said, you stay on the right path. It's going to be distractions to the left. Bring out the book. Wednesday morning on the way to school with your kids. Little Johnny, bring out the book. (laughs) Come on, we need to go back to the book. This is the only thing that's going to help us. Not our own philosophies, not our own ideologies. There's great books in the world. I I love reading books. I'm a book reader, but it's only one book that's going to heal us. It's alive. It's active. It pierces the heart, the Bible says. We need to go back to the book. And as we begin to preach, you study revivals. Jonathan Edwards, he was 19 years old when he began to preach. Wasn't the most charismatic preacher. Half the people, I think, would be asleep to hear him preach. He led the first great awakening in America, all from bringing out the book. He would get up and begin to preach the Bible. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people got saved. George Whitfield began to preach at the age of 25. And again, these guys weren't, they didn't have LED screens. They didn't have the best, they didn't have IGs. They didn't have none of that. They just began to preach the word of God. And people got convicted and people said, God, forgive me. As they heard a man who was just reading the word of God, because it's not about the container, but what's in the container. And sometimes I think we fall in love with containers instead of the content inside of the container. But when you're anointed and you begin to preach God's word, oh, it causes change. And as we preach the word of God, it's calling for change. Today, as we're preaching God's word, is calling for change. George Whitfield, his last message in Boston, thousands of people came out to hear him, all from preaching the word of God. The great awakenings in our country came from men of God who stood and read the book. Today, we need more men and women of God to stand up and say, we're going back to the book. That's it. There's nothing else. It's the book and nothing else. Why don't we stand up all across this place? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. With eyes closed and hands raised, why don't we thank him for a moment? He's a good God. He's an awesome God. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. God, revive us today as we go back to the book. Forgive us if we've been busy in places we shouldn't be, conversations we shouldn't be, looking at things we shouldn't be, entertaining thoughts, rumors, conversations, busy with what people are saying about us. God, help us to be focused. 
focused on you, God. And there will be the kind of men and women of God that will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we'll build our lives upon this book. We'll build our homes upon this book. And as we read it, it reads us and it convicts us. It speaks to us of the change that needs to happen in us. God, I pray that we won't keep living comfortable lives where dreams die, anointings die, callings die, ministries die, that our life won't be a graveyard of all that God could do. But today, you'll disturb the comfortable. You'll disturb the comfortable. In the name of Jesus, today I pray for every person that's been comfortable, every person that sat out and saying, I'm good, I'm never going to change, I can't do this, I can't do that. In the name of Jesus, I pray that the Spirit of God would awaken you. Open up your eyes for all that God has for you to realize God has a great calling over your life, that God's hand wants to come upon you, your family, your home, your kids, your marriage, your life. And today you'll begin to awaken to everything that God wants to do. It could be different. Things could change in the name of Jesus. Your marriage could get better. Your home could have peace. In the name of Jesus, you could be successful. In the name of Jesus, you could be a leader. Father, I pray that you disrupt every comfortable area of our life and that our eyes would open to your anointing, to your spirit that comes to purify us. And today we confess, help us, God. Help us, Lord. Hallelujah. Spirit of God, you do the work in our hearts. All we'll do is we'll open up the book and read it. And the book that is living, sharper than a double-edged sword, it'll begin to do a work in us. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. I believe that the Spirit of God is here right now. And he's speaking to somebody. And he's telling you what areas of your life today you need to change, change, change. The Spirit of God is calling for change. Change. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your thinking. Maybe it's your, your friends, the people you're with, your relationships. Today, change, change, change. He wants to make a Nehemiah out of you. Change. Have complete determination to go after God with everything in you. Say, I'm all in. Have a united contribution. Getting some people around me and I'm all in. And go back to the book and boldly proclaim it. Whatever your eye closed, whatever your head bowed, we're leaving in just a moment. If you're here, you don't know God. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe it's your first time watching in additional seating. Wherever you are, whatever your eye closed, whatever your head bowed, we're leaving in just a minute. If you're here, you say, Alex, I don't know God. I feel far from God. I need change in my life. You know there's sin in your life and you know you've done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong. The Bible says all of us are sinners. There's not one perfect person in this place. We've all done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong. And the Bible says that it's our sin that creates a barrier between us and this holy loving God. Sin creates the wall of separation between us and God. God loves you, but he has to judge sin. Sin demands a price, it's called death. The Bible says, for the wages or the price of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin comes to kill us. Some of us know we were there, sin was killing us. It was killing our families, it was killing our future. Some of you are there today, sin is killing you. It's killing you emotionally, mentally, almost physically. The Bible says that Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whosoever believes in him, We'll not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus came and he grabbed my sin, your sin. The Bible says that he went up on a cross at Calvary and he shed his blood for sin. He paid the ultimate price for sin. Jesus died on that cross. He went down to a grave. He was dead for three days, but after three days, he just didn't just pay the price for sin. He defeated death for me and for you. Jesus resurrected on the third day. We believe with all our heart Jesus is alive and he's still changing lives, healing lives, opening up eyes. Jesus is the only way. Whatever your eye closed, whatever your head bowed, the Bible says if you want to be saved, 
You must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Come on, in a moment of prayer, in a moment of privacy, if you're here, you say, Alex, I need Jesus. I'm gonna count to three, whether you're here in a digital seating online. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to hold it up high enough, long enough for me to see you. I'll see who I'm praying for. Then you can put it right back down. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Today, if you're saying, Alex, pray for me. I need Jesus. I want to be saved. I want forgiveness of sins. I want a brand new beginning. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you, you say, Alex, pray for me. I want to make that prayer of salvation. Raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand all across this place, all across the auditorium. Hands going up everywhere, everywhere. Raise it up. I, I see you. 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 God bless 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 you. Awesome. Awesome. Additional seating online, wherever you're at. You can put your hands back down. I'm going to say a simple prayer, and I want you to repeat this prayer with me. I want you to say this with all you got. In fact, the whole church out loud. Come on, why don't we pray this prayer together? Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and on the third day, you resurrected. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, I'm healed. I'm saved. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, he's a good God. Hey, if you raise your hand today, if you raise your hand on the way out, before you go grab some coffee, all that, there's a tent that says Connect Tent. You're going to see people with these bags. Just go up to them and say, hey, I raised my hand. I did that prayer with Pastor Alex. There's a bunch of gifts in there for you. Free gift from us to you. And all they might ask for is an email. If you want to give, if you don't, that's fine. We just want to bless you with a Bible, with a cool coffee mug, and anything else. One more time, can we give them a big, big hand? Every person that made a decision. If you're watching online, Every Sunday, people get saved online as well. Send us all the details in the chat. Tell somebody I did that decision. We'll send you a Bible as well. Come on, let's lift up our hands. Let's leave out of here worshiping. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you. You're awesome, God. Jesus Christ, you are awesome. Thank you for being crucified and resurrecting for us. Jesus, we leave this place, but never your presence. Go before us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing it out. Jesus Christ.